space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, a new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim. With me, of course, is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And Dr. Squee. Dragon! And for the, the audio... we're just sweeping the nation. For the audio listeners, Dr. Squee's no longer dressed as a dragon this week, but... <clears throat> Sorry, say it correctly. I removed my dragon skin, which was quite painful, and put it in the wash. It is now on the radiator, so I've had to put on this dumb human outfit yeah yeah no that's that's you know it's an acceptable lifestyle choice and we support you with it but i'm i'm just filling in the the audio listeners it's all good just Just in case they mistaken that that's an outfit or something i mean that would just be ridiculous not like you can get something like that for 25 pound off amazon no not at all not at all so, this week, anyway, we're looking at the latest episode of Prodigy, which is called Preludes. And we're finally, finally, finally back to the Dominion War, and we're talking about Return to Grace, which... Which isn't really part of the Dominion War, but we thought yeah, it was important enough. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. We, we'll talk about it a bit more when we get to DS9, but we are going to have to drop in non-full-on Dominion War episodes now and again because of how... All the subplots dovetail, particularly at the end. So, I mean, this is quite an important road to the Dominion War. I mean, it's it's a it's a passable kind of like entree to the Dominion War. Yeah, you need your Definitely. character backgrounds and everything before we get there. But that's for the second half of the show. However, we do need to start with the Trek news, which was sad Trek news this week. Which was, I'm sure most people have already read, but the passing of Kirsty Alley, who obviously came to, I mean, she, she's on the credits of Star Trek 2 as introducing Kirstie Alley, so yeah. that was where her career started, really, and then obviously went on to become, I think it's fair to say she was an icon of 80s and 90s cinema TV with yeah. Cheers and with Look Who's Talking and everything. So, yeah, very, very sad news to start the week Good. there. If I can just uh, talk a bit about the cheers of it all. I mean, what an uphill battle anyone was going to face to replace Diane. Sam and Diane was one of those iconic uh, mm. duos on the screen. Their love interest, like, will they, won't they? It was, it was one of the earlier ones. And so to step into that and to do a good job and to tread a different kind of path in it uh, was really quite an obstacle. But she she nailed it. She was just so good. It, the fact that she could be like a powerful boss one minute and then you could just see her falling apart and give this wonderful comedic turn the next she, she did a great part um when she first got the part when she went to the first uh, audition she dressed as diane just to make all the rest of the cast laugh <laughs> and she nice. went over immediately with that oh, that's pretty cool that. that's risky though isn't it yeah but yeah. It, it it just made she just pretended to be diane in the first audition and it just she had them all in fits of laughter, which eased her into the role like the actors accepted her. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I'd highly recommend, if anyone has got Paramount Plus for uh, the Star Trek of it all, you've got every episode of Cheers on there. Just just dive in, go for some, like, uh, great Diane episodes. I can highly recommend there's a great one where 
Beer's a uh, chief. Uh, he, he becomes a beer tester for the week. And the B plot is um, uh, Kirstie Alley as Rebecca trying to win at this slot machine thing. And it's just classic um, uh, Becky. Like she she tries to act all strong and powerful, but she's like just uh, doesn't know what she's doing. She's falling apart. She keeps on, everyone else wins at this slot machine. She just keeps on losing. It's just this a really fun episode. So I'm not up to that. Yeah, I've just got, she's just broke up with the English fella, is where I'm at with it. I mean, her first episode, Home as the Sailor, which is Sam returning home after yeah. leaving the... He leaves the bar after Diane leaves off camera, basically, and he's coming back and she's now the manager. It, it's just a wonderful episode. And, uh, yeah, I, I know a lot of people, including myself, have some problems with her... Um, her religious kind of Scientology stuff, but uh, you cannot uh, fault her acting, and I think that's still worth celebrating. Absolutely, and, and you know what? Watch. Give Star Trek Two another watch because she was definitely the better Savic. I know some people are like, yeah. "Oh, Robin Curtis brought this, that, and the other to it." Nah, because like, the alley were the best. It Savick. was scandalous because, like, for a new actress, it was it's standard Hollywood procedure that you sign them up for sequels mm. immediately. And they never signed her up for after Star Trek Two. That's why yeah. they had to recast. She'd become too big with Cheers yeah, by Star it, Trek yeah. Three. And imagine an early actor. Back. Imagine an early actor as well having to learn uh, all the Vulcan and stuff. Yeah. Like, just, there's a there's a lot of tricky stuff in that. In a quite a uh, like that film is magic from start to finish. No one gives a bad performance in Star Trek Two, and to be part of that just uh, as one of your first films, amazing. Yeah. 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 So, moving on from the the maudlin topic, um, yeah, preludes, the episode of Prodigy then. Now, this one, I just wanted to run this past you guys, I don't know what you thought. Um, I felt this was the kind of episode that really lends itself to animation, like the... The structure of it, basically, what we've got this episode is everyone going, you know what, I'm going to tell you my backstory for a few minutes. And we just get these sequences with everybody's backstory. And I kind of feel like if you try to do that in live action, it might come across as a little bit clumsy. It might not work. But I, I don't know, there's just something about the animated style and, like, there's a precedent for this. Like, I remember the... Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends show. And there's an episode of that where Iceman and Firestar just go, hey, Spidey, why don't you tell us how you became Spider-Man? <laughs> and you know, literally, that's the setup. And then you get the, the classic Spider-Man backstory. And then there's another episode where he goes, oh, so how did you become Iceman? And how did you become Firestar? And this, to me, really sort of channeled that kind of energy. But I, I really felt it worked. I just, I wonder if it'd have worked in live action or whether we'd have had to do I, something a little bit more I was thinking elaborate to frame it. A, I was thinking if this had been a live action episode, doing this sort of story where it's just giving you a little bit of backstory about everyone and nothing really, the plot's not really progressing or anything, we'd all think, oh, this is a filler episode. Like DS9 used to go, some of them, Oh, this is a bit of filler episode, and in two or three episodes, we've got to get a huge budget spent. Yeah. On yeah. battles, and it felt like 
If it was live action, it'd be that sort of episode of filler. Mm. Actually, I'd argue. So there's no difference in the budget per episode. I would also argue, actually, it might be the reverse, because I was thinking the reason why you couldn't have done this, where this is sort of a spiritual uh, sequel to Voyager, uh, if you're doing this live action, you'd have to have new sets, new locations for all these yeah. different stories. True. New battles. It, it would cost more, I would have thought. But uh, the thing which really reminded me of, there was this book called Mosaic for Voyager, mm. and it told all the origin stories of them. I think it was set around basics. They were on the planet. And they went around this campfire and they started telling stories of how they all joined Starfleet. And uh, it just felt like that uh, that in a uh, live action thing. And yeah, like, I mean, I always assumed in audio that was able to be done, whereas maybe it got pitched for TV and it just wouldn't have been able to because you'd have to have different sets for everyone and stuff. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'd not thought of that. But, but yeah, you're absolutely right. They would have had to build all kinds of things, wouldn't they, if they didn't want to do this oh. episode? I mean, yeah, the, yeah the, it was grand. The only sort of live action equivalent I can think, and it's not from Star Trek, was there's an episode of Firefly where it, it's sort of set in about three different time periods, and it's got like Mal crawling through the ship and he's being shot, and then it flashes back to show you how they ended up there, and then it flashes back within that to show how everybody joined the crew, and. Yep. It's similar in that we get all these backstories, but even that, they had to do this really quite complex and ambitious temporal structuring yep. of the episode. And, you know, whereas with this episode of Prodigy, you can get away with just going, hey, let's get everybody's backstory and let's crack on with it. And, and I think that's a great thing, whether it's because of the medium or because yeah. it, it's pitched at a slightly younger audience and the storytelling can be a bit simpler or whether it's because we've got the 23-minute format so you don't need to put in all of this extra complexity to do it. Whatever the reason is, I think this episode works. Because we get four, four different backstories here. In fact, what? five almost. Well, this is the thing. I would have thought that... Um... You know, this seemed like it was a standalone episode. You know, when they get in the middle of the Dominion War, for instance, they might have a standalone episode. It's just something to kind of like uh, have a bit of a sidetrack with. Yet they forwarded the plot with this as well. Mm. So it, like, it does so many things in this episode. <laughs> yeah. I'm really digging the hell out of Prodigy. I think we've got so much consistent Star Trek. Like you think of, we're talking about Strange New Worlds being one of the most consistent series. I said the same about uh, Picard in this last series yeah. uh, <clears throat> and Prodigy. And Discovery is also a program which is happening. Yeah. Well, Discovery was consistent, just in a different trajectory to the other <laughs> ones. And Lower, Lower Decks as well was, was wonderful. This Lower Decks is just yeah. brilliant. Yeah. yeah, I mean, these are all brilliant shows and they're all, I don't know, again, they're, they're, it's hard to pick out the bad episode in a lot of these shows. They're, the Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, Prodigy, Picard, I could agree with you. Yes, yeah, I, I, I agree well, with you too. Discovery's <laughs> going to make a comeback. Season five, I've had it on good authority, is going to be really good. Because we're not haters. I, I just didn't no, like it. No, we want to like it. I like the shop. I, I thought the series before I, I was really good. Discovery is taking a bit of a lesson from the other four shows of how they're doing things. I hope so too. Um, <laughs> but back to to Prodigy then. So... 
Yeah, basically, we've got this set up, they've got a bit of downtime, let's have the stories, and we start off with Rock's well, it, backstory. It isn't really downtime, they're trying to fix the ship out of the boat. Yeah. They need a bit of a break, because they're all getting stressed and tired out. Yeah, and um, and uh, Medusin, um he's lost an arm. Zero, yeah. yeah. Zero. So starting with Rock, then. See, now... I have been accused of going back to talking about wrestling uh, on and for any excuse, but <laughs> this does evoke professional wrestling very, very much because you've got this staged fight basically that's going on, and it's Rock versus this hero who's got pretty much a lightsaber. So we're still doing a lot of Star Star Wars references, <laughs> and I. Again, because I do love wrestling, this really appealed to me because you've got effectively Rocks playing the bad guy or the heel and you've got the other person who's the good guy, the face. But they switch it and they mix it up because Rock wants to do something a little bit different and effectively plays the face role and the other guy takes on the sort of comedy bad guy role and unfortunately for Rock, it's not as popular and oh, it leads to the splitting of the the act. Yeah, I, I just love yeah, the fact that... Sold. Yeah, that's the thing. The guy... I, I like the way they painted. They haven't made the other guy the bad guy. It's just like he, he knows what will happen and what does eventually happen mm. if Rock plays the hero. He knows, he can, like you can see it in his eyes, like the animation is so good to show his like uh, sadness at what's gonna happen to her. And it does, and it just, oh, it breaks my heart. Like yeah. just, it was so well done. It just, like considering you got like five minutes to tell each of these stories, the amount of ground and the amount they get yeah, invested absolutely. is just so well, good. It's um, like, it's very strange, strange in it, like, I know that we only allowed to call it season one, but essentially, well, why would you call it This is the back end of season two. What? We're only just finding out about these characters. What? Why they like they are? Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I was going to say. To your point that you know we're only getting these five minute segments, but each of them, as well as telling a little backstory, is tying into what we know of the characters now and for rock we get this thing of oh that's why you don't like fighting that's why you're so averse <laughs> to violence yeah and i think that's yeah, I great mean... how they they don't just go this is the backstory done it's this is the backstory and this is how it informs who this character is that you've come to know yeah yeah and and it's like uh, i i just love that it's it's the happiness that um these children let's not forget these are all children these children have found in kind of basically being sold in slavery and they find some measure of happiness somewhere within yeah. this or you know for the most part i know jenkin will get on to him but like his story is slightly different but it's like i there was something so powerful i don't know why i just never really i always thought of them being the misfits but they are child laborers they're child oh, children yeah. who've been put into slavery you know this is some real big shit you know and it really brought it home in this episode and again like how how someone can find some joy in such miserable circumstances just blows me away it just and it seems so realistic somehow like okay not in the middle of space but i'm sure there's people like there's children who have gone through this and have found some measure of happiness somehow it's uh mind-blowing it's very human this episode somehow no absolutely it is 
I do have a tiny nitpick, and this is one of my ongoing nitpicks with this season slash last season. We're getting some answers as to how everyone ended up in the Delta Quadrant now, so I'm okay with that. But how are the Kazon getting to the Alpha Quadrant as frequently as they are? Yeah, that'd be interesting. I mean, you know, they, they have shown so many um, reasons why everyone else can jump between and We kind of figured them out and then they've explained it and yeah. justified it. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see, <laughs> see if... I mean, they've been quite good at... They don't let a lot slip in this show, so I think they're going to... I think we'll get an answer, but then I've just thought of now that, as we know, the, the Kazon do have sneakily fast technology because they were always ahead of Voyager for the first two seasons somehow. Yeah. Also, if they fell, fell in with the Diviner because he's from the future, maybe he you know, used some technology. Like, if they're working for him. their ships so they can go out and get him slaves. Yeah, yeah, so the main Kazon so. can't do it, but maybe just the ones who work for him. That, but that then work. we have just seen random Kazon, like at the, the well, Starbase last episode. How do we know they're not working for him? Because... they could be stationed there. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, could be. Or working for the other, uh, the younger um, one the of the species is there. Judicator well, or whatever. Well, come out in the Alpha Judicator. Quadrant and just embedded in... The Federation, aren't you? Yeah, and well done, Elliot, for yeah. calling it last week. We were all going with the whole theory, oh, it might be something <laughs> to do with Gwyn, and you were just like, nah, it's just another one of them. Yeah. And you were on the money. We read way too much into the similarity between them. You were looking like more plots, plot than there was. We were. Like, all three of us have, have had our share of kind of wins of, like, guessing. Elliot, though, Got to hand you, you you are the kind of like you're you're ahead in the polls by a quite a long yeah, way. You, when it yeah, comes to definitely. Yeah. And then we get Zero's story, and again, it's just a nice little. Well, not nice because it ends up with being kidnapped, but. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so Zero was out exploring the galaxy and they were just running free as blobs of light and it's all lovely, but then the bloody Kazon turn up and they've got the visors from the original series. Yes, and also it's very original series to have a being which is just of energy. Yeah, like there are a lot of them in the original series. Yeah. yeah. Almost uh, like, like it was a cheaper thing to do. Like, just to have... <laughs> like when you see the Medusans, it makes you wonder if the companion from the... Uh, oh, yeah, from Metamorphosis. Episode was a magician magician yeah i kind of want to i want to call it how you're mispronouncing it. magician sounds much more grand it's kind of lovely than the magicians <laughs> yeah well, you like to put we can put a bit of artistic flourish into some of the names yeah. if we want a yeah, bit, bit of flourish on it because um the one thing which i thought was really good about his story as well is because it justifies why he isn't like if if his uh species just lived on the planet he came from there is no reason why he wouldn't spend every moment trying to get back to him. He's talking about how this is the happiest time of his life and mm -hmm. everything. But because they're nomadic, it means there's no set point for him to try and get back yeah. to, which justifies why he sticks with the prodigy crew. Because as much as he loves them, I can't picture, picture anyone, if that was the happiest time of your life, falling in with them as opposed to going, oh, thanks for letting me escape, but I, I've got to go after my Yeah, crew. that's yeah. always the thing, like, isn't it? Like, I imagine that the Ethan Medusan homeworld, there has to be. Yeah, exactly. But I, I just, I think that was very clever writing. They seem to have an answer for every problem we have, which I think is yeah. really smart. 
Well, I want an answer about the Kazun before the end of the season, please. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was. And in fact, actually, Janeway opened up the uh, Borg um, transport conduits and stuff. Like, maybe for some reason she helped them. I know. There's a lot of. Kind oh, of I'd like a twist there. It turns out that Neelix is, is like when he left Voyager, he nicked loads of the technology and he's been selling it, and Neelix has what, become Neelix like. Neelix nicking technology from Voyager to sell. Exactly. That never happened, ever. And Neelix <laughs> what, has been. What be- makes you think he'd do it now? <laughs> And he's become like this big Delta Quadrant Godfather type figure. Like Neelix has (laughs) gone full on bad guy and he's running a criminal empire. I mean, he was child trafficking when we first met him. So, you know. I mean, I've got to say, I like no insult to the actor ethan phillips he's great but it like uh, i mean it might make it might make neelix fucking more interesting if he was i mean oh he was badly written for so many times i he think was. he could have been there's, an interesting character. there's some really good neelix episodes and when neelix was some. done right it was brilliant mm. but there's also some real cringe with neelix oh god yeah. I mean, yeah. fucking, like, in seven years he couldn't work out the vulcan was a species i mean fucking how dumb do you want to make him Sorry, piss me off. Now. They wanted to make him very dumb. Very, very dumb. Yeah, yeah, At very, times, very, very but then very intelligent. And anyway, yes, it was very inconsistent writing. Then we jump over to the bad guy. So we've had two we of our... No, no, yeah, you missed one. Jank and Pog. Jank and Pog. That's after. Is it? Yeah, we oh, get... We get the first ones. No, we get the Diviner first. Then we go back to Jankum. Okay. Did we? We did. All right. Okay. Um, like you've got the notes. I don't write notes, so you know you win. Right I Yeah. I and I write these notes in chronological order. Just a, a peek behind the curtain there. Because I if I don't, you, I we get very confused. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not the notes no because guy. I I I agree. I thought it was an interesting structural choice in the episode to have two of the cruise stories and then jump to the bad guy then go back for one more cruise story yeah maybe yeah, that's why my mind changed it around. it's funny it's uh, is the diviner really a bad guy yeah yeah yes yeah i think like there's no justification but i don't think he set out as a bad guy Basically, the Federation just came with a plan and gave them a choice of joining or not, and then they started a civil war. That's not <laughs> the Federation. I'm sorry. It's like me saying hi to you, and it's like, oh, well, I want to say hi to you, but my wife didn't want to, so we got divorced. It's all your well, fault. Was I, all... You, you're putting a lot on me saying hello. Yeah, the site of the civil war over should they or shouldn't they join the Federation, and he was all for joining the Federation and thought it, it sounded like a really noble thing. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. it doesn't get to then say because we then ward over it. It's your fault for existing. But even yeah, even if we take out what initially sparked his motivations, he did run a colony of child labourers. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty bad. So, oh, bring up a one bad thing he does. Yeah, he he, he starts up one child labour. One mistake. Oh, that's true. Husband. You're right. Well, okay, we'll reserve judgment on the diviner <laughs> until he commits his next atrocity. Um, I just, I really think it's just. I mean, it's great writing, and that I, I believe that 
um, a species would do this. But it's just like, I, like, I'm sorry, but it's not on the Federation that you went to war because you couldn't decide whether or not you wanted to join. That's not on them. Yeah, and the way, well, I mean, the way they tell the story is great and it does give so much backstory to it. And it's like, oh, and then the protostar turned up and we realised it was our chance. And it's like, well, you, you could have used it to... Like, go and find resources to make your planet better. No, 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 we're going to use it to destroy the Federation. Or go back to past, go back to past, visit the Federation, go, by the way, never visit our planet. I'm really sorry. I know you've got the best of intentions, but this is what happens as a result. Never yeah, visit us. That. No, no, no. What we're going to do is we're going to get our evil death weapon and we're going to integrate <laughs> it into the ship and we're going to send it back. And then I'm not entirely convinced the maths here works. Because they go, we worked out it was about a 1% chance we'd find it, so we sent 100 people, so therefore it's a 100% no, no, chance. No, 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 they did say, actually I listened to the wording on this the second time watching today, I believe it was a 1 in 100 chance, so we sent 100 ah. shit. I don't want that showing. I wanted to delete it. Oh, sorry, I didn't realise I brought that up on screen. So anyone wants a chatbot, that's your one. Anyone wants a chatbot, that's the one. How do we get rid of it? There we right, go. Thank you, Elliot. Anyway, forgive the interruption. So, yes, sorry, you were saying, Squee. No, no, just that, um, the, uh, yeah, so it could have gone back in time and stopped the Federation from visiting, I think, was what I was saying. So, basically, yeah. all we had to go is, like, yeah, just don't come by us. We're, we're, like, it'll end really badly for us. And the only thing that I think the Federation would have done after this was they would have had a uh, Federation meeting about the Prime Directive and maybe, like, well, is there any way we could change the prime directive to make sure this doesn't happen. And I think they probably would have ended with, no, not really. True. People are going to war over joining us or not. That's not on us. We went until they're war capable. We made sure that they're responsible. Oh, yeah, and there's one in 100. That was the other thing. Um, they did say so, there was a one yeah, in 100 chance, so they said well, 100. I just want to uh, slag Jakoti off a little bit more. Actually. Oh, let's do sorry, that. Before you do that, can we just finish? Sorry, just, we'll, we'll finish the maths first. Yeah, the maths first, just because the only thing we're going to... The only thing I was going to add to that was that they did say that um, they still thought, even though it's a one in a hundred chance, even sending a hundred chips, they knew the chance were against them. So they, they weren't stupid enough to say it's like, uh, that's a certainty then. Yeah, I'm going to say because it, it doesn't mean each ship has a one in a hundred chance. That doesn't add up to a hundred out of a hundred, does it? So, yeah, and also a hundred well, chances might... Chips back. And it might be an average of 100 over 1,000, for instance. So it doesn't yeah. mean that in every 100 you're going to get one. You might so get 200. So any mathematicians tell us what the chances were? We want to know. No, I, I think it's 100. It just, we have to, we don't know the sample set. Ah, okay. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Uh, it's like deal or no deal. Right, can I yeah. slag your coat off? Yes. You always seem to, so right. <laughs> over today being so, hey, I just want to put it out there. Elliot's the first one to do this this episode, not me. <laughs> <laughs> you two taking turns. <laughs> right, so we've had the Federation. The future Federation have met met the Diviner and his planet. It's all gone a bit pear shaped. And then Chakoti from the past, I can't remember how many, what the difference in time is, but it's quite a huge difference in time. I think it's a couple of hundred years, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it was quite big, yeah. So he's gone through this wormhole 
and by chance he's come out of the diviner's planet because these these uh, sort of really low probability things always happen <laughs> in Star Trek. <laughs> so he's gone down and they've immediately blamed him as Federation and seen the chance. So Jacoti was realised to put the weapon on. He can't board the ship and go back in time because that would cause problems. It destroyed the Federation. So he decides what he can do is just send the ship back in time on its own because obviously that'll be really safe for the Federation if it's met by any of them. Why didn't he just set the auto-destruct? Well, maybe He's been he ruining himself on the Diviner's planet anyway in the future. I think the Why self not blow his ship up? Instead of sending I, it back to destroy the Federation. I've got a reason. I think there's probably, like, when you're doing self-destruct, the one thing we've seen is it involves three officers. You've got to do the whole code and everything. Maybe there was a simple instruction he could send where, where it's like, just go that, you know, go forward that direction, that many, um, that distance. It, it's probably an easier command to send. Like, and plus he didn't have time to go. It's like, wait a minute, let me just think through my different options. It was like, fuck it, just get it out of here so they can't. Right. Nah, so, I, he didn't have time to do a vision right. quest to tell him what to do. Right. Yeah, exactly. If yes, the ship that's goes it. back in time and meets the Federation, it's going to destroy the Federation. So he could go back with it crewed and avoid it meeting the Federation. And How could he send it back somewhere in the Delta Quadrant or Alpha Quadrant or something? How would he get everyone back up? Or he could just send it back with no crew that it could randomly be bumped into think, by the Federation and destroy them all. So what did he do? I'm, I'm not one to no, defend Chakotay, you... but I, I do think they had a line about that they couldn't board the ship or something. Yeah, because they couldn't go back to... Because it no, destroyed no, but, the Federation. No, 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 no. I thought it was that he wouldn't have been able to board it because he was he was surrounded by these there people. There was something so, like, about that. But I, I agree with you that it is not the best plan. Like, right, send it back through where if it just appears yeah. in space, the Federation will probably go, oh, there's our ship. We better yeah. salvage it. Oh, dear. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Okay, right. Two things, right. First of all, it would be a Hail Mary pass to just, like, this is the one command I can send. It's the quickest command. I just need to get it out of there so at least they don't return with it. So that's mitigating some of the damage. And also maybe he's hoping because there's no one on board it, as opposed to people hailing it, they couldn't get a response from it because it's just a ship there without anyone on it. So maybe he was hoping that a shuttlecraft would go over, they would look around and, it and be check destroyed it out. first. No, 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 but they would go on board as in and then they find the cause because they wouldn't be able to get any response from the ship because it's just dead. In it sounds a bit elaborate to me. I, I think you're a Chicote denier. No, no. Look, I spoke to this uh, Jewish gentleman who was the consultant on Voyager about the Native American experience. Ah, uh, of course, yeah. <laughs> oh, it was one of my favourite bits. Sorry, I'm, I'm digressing now, but one of my favourite bits of our live panel was when this brilliant, lovely young lady was in the audience and... Um, we talk about this consultant and how he was just like not Native American and everything. She just put her hand up just so meekly and he was Jewish. It's like she was apologizing on oh, yeah. the whole uh, Jewish religion. And I was like, it's all right, it's not your fault. You know? yeah. He was operating alone. We understand. We don't think this was a conspiracy. No. Nope. Uh, it, it was it was a one man conspiracy on behalf yeah. of Jackie, whatever his name was. <laughs> 
Uh, I just thought she was ready. It was just yeah. Like, it was so it was funny. it was the apology in the voice yeah. there to, on behalf <laughs> of my people. I'm very sorry. None, that... of us, none of us are blaming you again, apart from Kanye West. He thinks it's all your fault, but apart from oh. that, no one else. He's just disgusting. He yeah, is. well, he's mentally ill. He needs to be on medication, and he refused them. So yeah. That's what it is. So we, we won't touch Kanye anymore, so he's got a bit of cash behind him, so... Uh... Sorry, I just thought it was hilarious. In the... No, it was, it was good. Um, yes, yeah, so... Chicote, questionable decisions. Um, and then... This is when we get Jankum's story. So we go back to the crew. And I think Jankum's is really, really interesting. So first of all, they're in cryosleep, so that's how they're in the Delta Quadrant. Thank you. Well... This is really strange, isn't it? It's like, it says from Telluride Pride, before they joined the Federation, she yes. used to send out the orphans for deep space missions. Mm. So where were they sending them? In the Delta Quadrant? And nice. you've got to assume that, that before they joined the Federation. So we're talking, they've been in cryosleep for a couple of hundred years. Oh, yeah, at least. Yeah, I mean, I, I was imagining maybe, like, I, I had to fill in a few blanks in this one because I was like, well, there must be one adult. They, he talks about chief engineer, so I'm wondering if there was a skeleton crew of adults to then... Maybe, yeah. There was the new, yeah. you know, uh, new um, people to discover these areas and stuff. But, yeah, when he got woke up, oh, it's just so good. I love well, the fact, because the one thing that... Anyway, wanna... The one thing which I thought uh, all through the series was, like, Okay, it's cute. He says his name and everything, mm. but it's a it's a bit silly and everything. And the fact they justified in this episode yes. makes me so happy because I love it when he says his name. But I want there to be a reason. Yeah, and there is. I mean that that goes back to like what I was saying earlier about how that they have put these little things in that inform what we know. And yeah, it's absolutely brilliant characteristics. Yeah, that he's yeah, got to keep uh, saying <laughs> it to this AI. It's brilliant. And just like, and the fact that it's hundreds of years before the Federation justifies why the computer was so shit. It's yeah. just a really early crap computer. And that's I'm it. Like, and it also gives us really sort of the first glimpse we've had into Tellarite culture. Like we 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 know yeah. next to nothing about the Tellarites. Because I like to imagine <coughs> that the uh, the computer when it left um, Tellarite Prime, uh, when it left the Tellarite uh, planet. I imagine that it was kind of top of the line, really intelligent, but after years in deep space, it's kind of memory circuits and everything have, have eroded a bit. <laughs> I, no, thought, just, yeah. I found it really strange, the voice of the computer, that it was like a human voice talking to Tellarites. Mm. It, it didn't have their, the way that they talk. Because it's, it's pre-Federations, so it should just be designed on Tellarite. True. Maybe it's a bit of that magic universal translator that does the work for the viewers. Oh, right. I've also got I've got a pitch for that. Where um, Stephen Hawkins Hawkins used a uh, computerized voice, that didn't sound like human. Maybe their voice just came out human when they tried to. Yeah, and then when they met the humans, part of the reason the Federation has got formed is because they were like, "Oh, you guys sound like our computers. This is great." Yeah, yeah, you must be smart cookies. You sound like computers, all of you. <laughs> That'd be yeah, great. <laughs> that works. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. And it, Sold. it gives Jankum, who has been largely a comedy character, this really sort of brave and noble backstory that it's like, well, there isn't yeah. enough air now because of what you've used, or enough energy, rather. 
So he makes this sacrifice for the rest of the crew. And yeah. Yeah, the, these are enough air for, for, for all 30 passengers to make oh, yeah, it to course. our destination. Of course, this has to be at the end of the episode because that's how it ends when he... Um, uh, when they say that, oh, you know, it sounds noble to me, and then they talk about uh, um, little squidgy guys um, backstage. They joke about that. Yeah. Yeah, no, sorry. It just, just reminded me of Wars at the end of the episode. Uh, but I just really liked... Um, I mean, he is one of my favourite characters. The guy who voiced him, Jason Manzoukas, is uh, really hilarious. He's on this podcast called How This Get Made. I think I've said that before, but please do check it out, guys. You know, anyone listening, it's a really fun uh, show about movies which are just crap and like you know what the hell's wrong with them um and he is just so funny like the vocalization and but yeah it makes you because you love him for being the funny guy mm. when he is in peril you really feel for him and like you know he's just got to keep on fixing these things and it shows him how he learned as an engineer as well yeah which sets up you know his backstory in every way it's so tightly done and, and again that- you're just spending so little time on it each story yeah, the, 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 it finishes with sort of that great gag where he's like, and please tell them about me and speak my name, and then the computer's forgotten who he is. <laughs> it's yeah, just great. Take your name and Are you kidding me? Oh, forget it! <laughs> it's just a great little story. Um, Can we talk a bit, before we get to the end, so I just want to talk about the interlinking bits for this episode as well, because they were really good, with the... Um, with, of course, and I, I think you guys forgot his name last week. Shame on both of you. But the first officer for Janeway, which, of course, is played by David Diggs, which I would never forget the name of, obviously. Of he was course, in yeah. No. Um, yeah, he was... Uh, he asks Janeway what the music is he's playing in. She goes, it's... Um, I forget which composer is. <laughs> I was going so well then. Chopin's, Chopin's interlude. Yeah, and it's the fact there's an interlude and that's all about kind of like little things in between. Oh, yeah, very clever. I like it. Oh, sorry, I thought, yeah, that was the name of the episode and everything. It's great. I do like um, how Janeway has deduced now that these aren't criminals, that it's the kids and they've got themselves in trouble. I'm glad we've got there. I feel like... One more episode of Janeway not being on the right track, it might have outstayed its welcome, but I feel like we've yeah. played that card at exactly the right time now. I don't know. I mean, part of me did think, like, if you'd kept that back, there was a version where literally they end up facing down mm. with Janeway, and then they've got to, in the heat of battle, somehow communicate without using communication that they're the good guys. That's like, a, that would have been a real... Like you could have had a real powerful standoff with that. I mean, and that... they chose not to. Again, they. I feel like they burned through plot in a lovely way because they've got a, another plan that well, we don't see coming. I True. think we're heading towards one of my predictions with how this episode ends. Yep. With how the Diviner knocks out Janeway when yeah. she discovers Dreadnoughts and then Vindicator. Okay. And uh, Diviner comes up behind her and knocks her out and goes, yeah. I'm protecting yeah. And, I, and I predicted that he'll end up stealing the uh, Dauntless class. You did, you did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll yeah. do yeah, well. No. Only two of them and one of them robots to do the whole ship will take a bit of doing, but... Dreadnox uh, is uh, pretty uh, nifty, though. I, I mean, I, I think... He's not like one... a Star Wars droid. He's actually yeah. quite efficient. True. Because I... I, I think we've come up with uh, four or five different options of which way this could go over the episodes. And I love the fact that, again, they um, 
they just send, seem to burn through the obvious and they've always got another card up their sleeve of something to do with with the show it's it's so cleverly done i think this is one of the you know none of the other uh, star trek shows i can think of set stuff up where you think you know where it's going and then it just diverts so many times yeah true um yeah i mean it, however it winds up it's going to be really interesting so I'm looking forward to finding out where it goes I've got a feeling <laughs> that we're headed into a false story end of season arc Ooh. and I think that's a bit of a play on the title of it with Prelude yeah oh, good I mean, point Prelude was Prelude I think was definitely I mean yeah it could have had many I think many it's meetings. a bit of a play on this is the Prelude yeah. before we really get into a major yes. four episodes Huge story, and it also played into the title of the music that Janeway was. Listening yeah, the, to. the the title is definitely a clue to where this. Yeah, episode the, this is the, the calm before the storm. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's kind of episode which could have been so throwaway to any other show, but it, I really enjoyed the hell out of this. It was really a fun episode. It was really great. It's a done. really good. Ep- it's a really yeah. really good episode. Yeah, like, I mean, it's in in contention for best of the series, and there's lots <laughs> of contenders for that. It's it's very clever. It didn't drive the plot forward massively, but it filled in plot holes all I mean, over the place. Funny enough, the one we're um, kind of talk about in a second from Deep Space Nine, I feel like this one episode where it's like, it's fine, but it's never going to be anyone's favourite. Whereas, like, if someone said this was their favourite prodigy so far, I'd say, yeah, fair play. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Well, with that, then, let's move on, then, finally, to the Dominion War and Return to Grace. And as we said earlier on, it's more Dominion War adjacent because it's this episode is an important step on moving all the chess pieces around and getting Guldacat where we want him for the next movement of the Dominion War arc. Yeah, yeah, and and, is this the first one with Damar in it? Yes, it is. Um, That's worth shouting out that Damar is basically a glorified extra in this episode. He has a couple of lines, but they're all like techie lines and everything. He went the O'Brien route of becoming a uh, major player. Yeah, but by the end of the show, he's... It could have very easily just been another Kardashian that we saw for one episode. I mean, the the battle cry in the last episode is for Damar. Yeah, absolutely. He becomes a major, major character. And I do know from like reading behind the scenes stuff and whatnot on um, DS9 that this was another of those cases where they just really liked the actor and they were like, right, well, we're going to beef up that role and we're going to make it much more interesting as we go along. And Demar has an incredible story arc to come. And if I can just throw... Strongest story acts in the whole series when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to also throw in a lovely guy in person, Casey Briggs. Uh, he was at the Sci Fi Ball here in Southampton and oh, uh, did, did a few musical numbers on the stage with uh, who was he with? It was him one of the other guys. Uh, I was uh, the Admiral Forrest from uh, Enterprise, who was oh, also yeah. one of other characters. In Star Trek. Right. Awesome. I'm going to forget his name, but uh, yeah, yeah, they do a little, uh, one of them was on the ukulele and they had the song mm. called Trekkie Deckie. <laughs> it's it's Trekkie Deckie. Yeah, we're on the Trekkie Deckie bit, drink some Dasecki, with <clears throat> a bottle of beer, something like that. I was just going to say we need to find a copy of that, but you've got it memorised, so that's fine. 
Yeah, I think that was just just like it was in the room. Sure, let's yeah. go with that. So the setup of this episode then, Kira's going to a conference. Ducat, who is now the captain of a little cargo ship, has to take her. And it leads to one of these that we got a lot in TNG, DS9, Voyager, where they'd have the opening teaser and it'd just end in the least inspiring place that's going to make you want to come back after the adverts because this teaser ends with Ducat saying, okay, get your bags, let's go to the ship. <laughs> I, I just... I, I did like before that where... He goes to uh, Kira, and uh, yeah, I just moved cargo around now, and he's he's obviously transported her, and he has to change it. Yeah, and, and there's obviously uh, dignitaries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're transporting dignitaries. This is how seriously uh, the Kardashians see you as a Brazoran, as a dignitary. Cargo ship with the guy who's basically space Hitler. There you go. <laughs> the whole dynamic with Kira and Ducat is just brilliant. Not just in this episode, but the right fact away, that he's really. just constantly negging her and chipping away at yeah. her the whole way through. Like you said, that little dig that he has at the start and all the stuff about Shikar that he drops in over the course of the episode. <clears throat> and... He makes these very overt sexual overtures to her constantly. Yeah. But I always wonder with Ducat, I mean, I do think he's attracted to her because, you know, he's got eyes. Nanavista's a very attractive woman. I, I honestly think in Ducat's eyes, uh, if he could get it on with Kira, that would be like, the top brownie points in his book. That's what I was going to say. It's a power thing with him, isn't it? It's, I want to yeah. see if I can seduce someone who hates me. Yeah, and I think there's also the fact that it's like, um, as I say, I compare him to Space Hitler, but it's like, it's like Hitler asking the Jews to, uh, you know, <laughs> fancy him after he's done yeah. all that. You know, yeah. that, that's what he's basically doing. The only thing I kind of uh, would say, and I think they both act at a blinder, but... I think if anything, the lines from Kira should have been even more disgusted at him. Like I, I, I almost yes. feel like it, it, it could be done up a bit more. Like she sometimes like gives him a little wry smile, and the writers actually wanted to have a romance with them. Yeah, they which, did. Like uh, none of us to stop them doing. But but I, I do think you that's... could see it, it's like you do do hear stories like from the prisoner of war camps in the Second World War where. The Germans who were killing all the Jews would take one, would have the lovers from the Jews as well. Yeah, but they just have sex with them and then leave them in the camp. Yeah, so that's the like, thing. You know, the when cats... they were free, yeah. that's the difference. Like, she is a free woman. And, I mean, I actually have to really, uh, I really respect Nanavisa for fighting that and for also yeah. being one of the women in Trek at that time who wasn't used just as, like, in mm. some ways, a sexual object. She was like, "No, I'm a badass commander. Like you, or a, uh, a colonel. Um, yeah, people respect me. I'm not like that's not the character." And she also fought against this. But I, I think if they weren't trying to do that romantic angle, like it's okay to have Ducat doing exactly what he's doing, but she should never have any quarter for it. See, and I think I, that's what she was fighting for. I think that's part of Kira's arc. And I think it is deliberate, and, and it's what the writers are doing with Ducat at this point, is 
they are trying to get the audience to root for him. This is yeah. from yeah. the first time we meet him up until his massive betrayal in season five. We're gradually repositioning Ducat as, well, he's quite charming, he's quite funny, he's doing the right thing, he's got good morals. Yeah, oh, he's... Or he, he appears he's, to have now, but... He, he, like, he was a baddie because he was doing it for Kadashi, who is a Kadashian officer, but we're now seeing the true Ducat and he's coming out and he's... That's it, and the title of the episode, Return to Grace... Is you know the implication is this is Decat's redemption, yeah. But then when you pick apart that title, you're like, well, Decat was never in a state of grace to begin with, so this is not a return. This no. is a, a, a false um, facade yeah. of it. I mean, I definitely understand what <coughs> they're doing. It's it's like this grace in his eyes, isn't it? In his eyes, I yes. I definitely see there was a, a, a side to it where they want to show him being nicer to then have the ultimate payoff of him being... Yeah, it's like, we already told you who he was. What, you really felt him being a good guy? It's yeah. almost like staying yeah, out the audience. I, I do think, understand that. I just, yeah. I think that is exaggerated by having Kira as the one who would be most likely to see through it, getting a little bit taken in by it as well. And that culminates in the um, occupation of DS9 arc at the start of season six, where she has there's an episode in that where she just says, "What the hell am I doing? I've I've let my guard down. I've let myself yeah. socialize with these people." I, I, so I, I, I do get it. I do get it. And there is a side to like. There's loads of interviews have said it's like. Uh, I, I try and never have a beer with any of these people because if I do, I'll find them charming and they'll be lovely mm. people. You know, I'll know something human about them and I won't be able to, like, uh, confront them as much in an interview. I get that. But it's like, I just... Maybe it would have been interesting to... So, like, Lita is supposed to marry Rom if she had fallen for Descartes and then Kira's the one trying to bring her back. Yeah, I that one. It's just... Yeah. Just say, a, I a, think a, it is for Descartes. It's... The whole thing is a game. It's I want to prove that I can win her over, and that will show how amazing I am. And yeah. like all this, like the stuff he, you know, he drops that thing about Shikari. It's like, oh well, you know, we had files on him, and um, he was shagging everybody. And it's just the constant chipping away at Shikar. And yeah, I did. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's like, I mean, I, I think the one one thing I did love is he, he was kind of like subtly being charming and then he'd do a line and it was always when he did the line that Kira bulked and he's like, oh, fuck, mm. I see what you're doing. Because like he said, it's like, uh, just gives me more reason to want to get my status back as a powerful man. Yeah. <laughs> it was like whenever he went um, that far, that's when he shut, she shut him down. And like that there's a funny. bit where they're having dinner and they're talking about Zial and he's talking about how he doesn't regret what he did and he, he loves Zial and all that. And you can see Kira's like, oh, I'm so glad that he loves his daughter. And then he just goes, I'm so glad you convinced me not to kill her. And it's just like... Yeah, that's yeah. a fucked up line. <laughs> I can't love it. Yeah, it's not like... This is also who he is, that he was ready to kill his daughter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, like, it, it I mean, that... it just reminds you, the audience, no, this guy is an absolute dick. 
But yeah. that's that's the kind of line I mean. I wish kind of like um, that line could push back more because she kind of went with it almost. She was like, uh, are you glad you still didn't kill your daughter? Yeah, I am, actually. It's like she was a bit too conversational there, maybe. But yeah. like again, they've written it so wonderfully. I, I'm very much the um, many years later armchair kind of directing it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's, it's I mean, th- this is the thing with... With any ongoing TV show where there has been a plot line that was intended but dropped, you're always going to pick up on bits of it here and there, and you kind of have to do a little bit of little bit of mental gymnastics to to fit in with where we now know the story goes. But also, like 26 episodes a series, or however many it was in in Deep Space Nine at the time, it's like Jesus Christ, that's a lot of episodes. Yeah, that's in one year, right? That that's crazy. Episodes. Jesus it, Christ. I mean, we just like, don't the fact do that, that now. It's as amazing as it is. Yeah? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the main plot is fairly straightforward. Klingons are attacking things. Dukat decides to go after them. And there is this beautiful thing that Kira's helping them by using Bajoran resistance tactics. And that obviously will come in way more in the final season. Yeah. Uh, but it's good to to see it here and the fact that Dukat is if you put aside the whole attraction that he has to her and his seedy motivations for that he is impressed with her as a as a warrior as a tactical brain you know she's like well hang on you you can put that gun on here Albrecht's not made to do it well don't matter you've got to use it you know yeah uh, it'll fit in the cargo bay. But what do we do with cargo? Ditch it. Yeah. And, and she said, and I know that as if Cardassian Freighter Captain, you get a percentage of the cargo. And that's it, isn't it? <laughs> You're going to have to let that go if you want to do that. That's this. the thing you... with the cat. It's like, do you want to be a freedom fighter or do you want your money? Because you yes. can't have both. The only thing I was wondering, though, is like, and I know that Kira could have advised him on this as well, but I was like, so where do they get the money from to keep the freedom fighting? Because like on Bayshore, it was them working together, kind of like, I mean, sorry to bring real world politics into it, but like with Ukraine, mm. they've at least got all their forces together. They've got kind of uh, people supplying them the food. You know, there there are some there is some help from the West, blah, 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 blah. You know, he is one ship on his own. How does he then fund it? That's the only question they can answer. I think the the implication is that they keep attacking Klingons, so I imagine that they're nicking stuff from... They've got replicators. Ah, no, that's a really great point. Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, I'm I'm guessing the replicators only have so much power. An ample power supply is no problem. Yeah, Yeah, you're right, you're right. Replicators. Thank you, you've answered And are the Klingon ships like the equivalent of the, you know, the Klingon Bird of Prey is like the equivalent of the Ford Fiesta. It's like the most nicked ship in the galaxy because Kirk nicked one, <laughs> Ducat's nicked one. I mean, that's only yeah. two examples in the past. Like, <laughs> it's funny as the Bird of Prey because it's, um, depending on which episode of Star Trek and which and what you're watching, TNG, mm. DS9, even Voyager, the sizes of the bird of prey varied massively. Yeah, they did. It was really lovely with Rick Sternback when he talked about how when they were designing that, they really did look at the original and they wanted to get the feeling and, you know, just this a bird of prey. They wanted to do the wings. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah. They, you know, they really thought out the design. Sorry, it's a 
slightly different to I mean that's the thing isn't it because it is such a great design and I think that's how they explained it in like the technical manuals and things they said well the one you see in Star Trek 3 that's got a 12 man crew is just a little one but the design itself is flawless so what they did was just made a bigger version for that's (laughs) half the size of the Enterprise D yeah (laughs) <laughs> oh, and uh, interesting like, little side note. Uh, you guys probably know this, but the explosion in Star Trek VI of the uh, Bird of Prey, they used the ex- they nicked the explosion scene uh, for Generations. They didn't ask. Yeah, they yeah. reversed it. It's the exact they same thing. They didn't even color. reverse like, it. No, 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 it's just exactly the one of them. They might have done it for an episode of something somewhere, but Generations, they didn't even bother. Like, I thought it was mirrored. No, because no, no, I remember when we did our episode on it. Like I can picture in my head, they go. It goes to one side, then goes upwards in the explosion. Yeah, and it's the exact same movement. It's the same. I think they slightly color corrected it a little bit to make it look. Hey, but yeah, that's possible. But you know, you, frame for frame, it looks exactly the same. It does. I'm, it I'm is the same. Sure and it's it. very cheap and nasty. And I think you Elliot, know that the skimping on the budget of a movie when they're using. Uh, clips from the episodes yeah that's I, normally what used to happen in tv movies not i think you are i think if you dig out one of our early episodes where we talk about generations i think elliot you had a bit of a rant about that at the time i might have done i may have another rant about it in march <laughs> <laughs> why march in march because we're not? just as a little teaser for match anyone going to the weekend oh sorry the weekend of yeah, we're doing when, when trek goes wrong at the movies oh yeah i didn't know we'd settle on that i'm i'm in yeah great yeah. i thought we'd settled on that i thought we'd no, settled I'm good on with that. that i think I'll, the world yeah, needs I'm a sequel that. we can get away with talking about bad <laughs> star trek one more time on stage i think yeah. We'll okay, probably... so the, the the end of the trilogy. Well, then has we've to got a full then. year to think of something original. We'll, no, we'll, no, pro- no, we'll then, probably then, have to get new material at some point, but no, no, that's it. You've just given away with new material. You do Star Trek goes wrong. When Star Trek goes wrong in the movies, when New Trek goes wrong. There we go. That's it. We'll have to. And we'll just talk about second half of season four of Discovery. Um, <laughs> or season five. Oh no, which one? Season four is the one we've just had. Oh, the whole thing then. Yeah. That yeah. And. We, we've managed to talk about Zial all this time and not point out that it's a different actress, but it yeah. won't be the last time it's a different actress. So. <laughs> Let's play ranking the Zials. I think yeah. this one was average. Like, I like the one on the station for most Yeah, time. I think. Well, it's really odd this with DS9, with what they do with Zial, because they're so consistent that they get a character and then decide to do more with them and they bring the act- actor or actress back. And the elder just went every time. Oh, new actress, new actress. It might be availability. Maybe just those two particular actors because they were in one standalone episode. Maybe they had their big yeah. break in the show, or what they thought was going to be um, their big break. It doesn't always turn out to be. By the time we uh, get to season six, we do have the same Zial for more than one episode, yeah. so <laughs> that's good. But I do think the apparently. I can't remember which one it was. I think it might have been Ronald D. Moore, who actually wanted to keep recasting her every single time just as a joke. And <laughs> yeah. they, they vetoed it ultimately. 
Which I'm guessing they stand alone episodes. I'm guessing it's prior commitments. Otherwise, they yeah, wouldn't it's, be it'll be availability. Well, and and it's one of them like they didn't know how big a character Zial would ultimately become. So you've not got the the actors locked into contracts or anything. Um, yeah. One last thing then about Decat towards the end of the episode. He comes across as genuinely committed to the cause, I think. And usually, Decat, there's always an edge somewhere. And he's always playing the long game. But I do get the impression at the end of this episode that, no, he is actually committed to what he wants to do here. I think he's very genuine in this episode of what he wants to do. And I think circumstances put him in a different position and he saw an opportunity to change later. Yeah, I, 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 did, I right. just love that there is a there's a, like a moment in the middle of the episode where uh, Kira's challenge is it's that um, bit in the shot in the um, in the bay where they're saying about oh we'd have to flush out all the cargo to get this weapon in, and you see the kind of cogs whirring in Decat's mind because he's like he does want to do something he does want to make a difference he does want to blow up this ship mm. but he hasn't thought past that to like being in guerrilla warfare which Kira's an expert on he's not. I think it suddenly clicks to him. It's like, no, I really have to let go of Kardashian, like with the current government. Yeah. I have to let go of so much shit to do this. And it's like him letting go of his, um, he's putting his people before the people's government. That is a huge step for him. I think that is huge uh, for him. Do you think in the journey he makes? In the back of his mind, is he thinking, I'm going to become a big folk hero here and this will be my oh, yeah. inroad? Yeah, he, yeah. He, he thinks he's ought to be a hero of Kudasia by what he's doing. Because mm. he knows that what the government are doing, the government have got, where they're trying to negotiate peace with the Klingons, isn't going to work. Yeah. Obviously. It's already a done deal in his mind. It's also against how the Kardashians actually are as a people, not generally. Yeah. So he thinks he's doing the right thing as being a gorilla. He thinks he's off to be a hero. He thinks he's off to have... He thinks he's off to rise up very high in Kardashian. Mm. Possibly yeah. higher than he's been previously. Politically. Because well, it's not just military. He's also politically motivated. He thinks he's not, he doesn't even think in terms of guerrilla warfare. He thinks like, right, I've taken this one rogue action, but when they see what I've done, they, I will be the conquering hero, welcomed home. I will be back in my well, position. He he's already saying he's, yeah, exactly. That's down. what I mean. That's, he's already saying that it's like, right, the first act I'm going to do is demote that fucker who pissed me off yeah. and do this. Yeah, yeah. I'll be a straight away. But then I he's think by the end shit. of the episode, he's accepting that. I might not get there, but I'm going to do this for the greater anyway. good kind of thing. And I find that really interesting. Yeah, I'm going to kind of do a comparison. I genuine. Yeah. yeah, I do. Uh, I do. Obviously, at some point, which we're going to come to, yeah. we don't know when, he obviously meets Changeling's founders and he, he does a deal with them for Cadassia. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this is what I mean, though. At this point, he's genuine. He's going to be a guerrilla warfare fighting the Klingons. Yeah, I'm just talking about that earlier moment, though. It's like, um, it kind of, again, I'm sorry to bring real world politics, only because I don't want to be disrespectful to the Ukraine war. But it feels like it, it it works so much, so well as an allegory that he's thinking that 
like the Russian people, it seems to be a lot of things about loyalty and about kind of like power and all this. <laughs> and that's a, a great allegory for the Kardashians. They're all about that. So I think the idea of being disloyal to any government of Kardashian is so alien to him. It takes so much for him to get to that yeah. point of them being so disrespectful of this huge victory that he's handed them on a plate and they're going, yeah, we're not going to do anything with that. Mm. It takes that for him to turn against his people and know that he's putting his people before his government. And like th those two things, though, to him were inseparable before. Every time Garrett talks about it, it's always about how it's for Cardassia. And like, even yeah. though he's no longer with them, he's still talking about them in these wistful terms. And he's, yeah. he is traitor to them. And he's still talking about them with that reverence. And that's how hard it is to break that kind of sink of uh, of, of state and of government and uh, people. Yeah, for them. So we'll put a pin in Decat there for now because this may not be where he ends up on his overall arc. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, Kira, and we, we do have to pay doing spoilers, even though people may have seen this. They may have like seen him. it, but you know, just all I'm saying is keep an eye on that Golda Cat. Well, it's another great example, though, of uh, where they did stay true to Kira's character, where she gets this offer and she's like, no, I've done that. And these aren't my people. This yeah. is not my fight. Why the hell would I do it? What I can do is save ZL. If you yeah. let me, she can go back with me. And yeah. I think that's a, a wonderful ending to the episode. Yeah, that's a good, again, it's rearranging the chess pieces a little bit. Let's get ZL onto the station now. We can... We can do get something. Get a new in... actress for that. We'll get a new, obviously, <laughs> we'll get a new actress. I mean, yeah, come on. Um, but, but yeah, it puts her in a position where she's going to interact with different characters. Garak, perhaps, for example. And... Well, that, yeah. that's a wonderful one. I don't know if we'll cover it in, if the one where she gets with Garak is featured in this, but there's such a lovely episode where he's so worried because she she's going to kill him. She's bringing, she's bringing a gun with him to a date. Yeah. This is so brilliant. <laughs> but it says everything you want to know about the Kardashians. Well, that says everything about Garak that you need to know, yeah, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, it's it's uh, Garak, he, he is a product <laughs> of his world, let's face it, and of the most brutal of his world as well. That He's like, better bring a gun. I mean, Okay, she might want to shag me, but... Yeah, be can't be too careful. <laughs> so we've got all that stuff to look forward to. We're, we're still so far away from some of that. I was thinking, Dominion Warwise, in terms of the amount of episodes that were produced of DS9, we're in the middle. We're in the middle of season four, banging the middle of the whole show's run. However, the Dominion War is heavily weighted to the second half, so we are nowhere near halfway through our coverage of the Dominion War. I expect us to be covering the Dominion War in 2024, maybe 2025, we might finish. I, I was going to say, look forward to uh, what they left behind in 2030. That'd be yeah. great. <laughs> we'll cover the DS9 finale right after we cover the finale of the Section 31 show, which hasn't even started yet. <laughs> Pretty much. But that'll do us for now then. But um, if you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter at RetrekPod. You can email us retrekpod at gmail.com. You can come and find us on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitch. And we'll be back next time talking about the next episode of Prodigy, as well as the next episode of The Dominion War. Dr. Squee, I believe they can find you on the radio. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. I've only just discovered this. We should have had that while we're talking about the end of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> sorry, spoiler alert for anyone listening on audio. Um, yes, uh, the Dog Squeeze Show, Tuesday, 6 to 8 on sw20radio.co.uk. I end up taking my birthday week off, which was this week. Um, right. So right. uh, so the one which I plugged last week for Lee Sullivan, that's going to be this week. He was a wonderful artist. He worked on Robocop. He's worked on Dog 2. Most of the franchises you can think of, he's done a comic book. He's done the art for. Uh, he's a wonderful artist. Genuinely, he's, he's just... I was so uh, pleased to get all the stories from that from him. So you, you can enjoy that on Tuesday. Fantastic. And thanks for trekking with us this time. We will see you next time on The Retrek. Bye-bye.